Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. Well, Tamsin and Dan read the paper on February 27th, Monday, mm-hmm. 2023. Correct. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, yeah. Um, this is our, uh, in terms of special events, we have to mention it. Uh, Tamsin's birthday is coming up. It's coming up on Friday. So that's all we're going to say about it. Would you like to say anything else about it? <laughs> I know there are limits on what we're allowed to say. All right, well, we'll just I, say I mean, you know what that means. It means that uh, not far off. Oh yes, is the famous uh, Gompert uh, podcast. Gompert podcast. We're in Richmond, Virginia. We get together with David and Cindy Gompert and uh, sit there in front of the microphone and wonder what's going to come up next. And uh, we'll see. David and Cindy, full so, of surprises. On the road to Richmond next week. Yes, that will be. You might want to tune into that one in particular. For some, it's their favorite podcast. For others, uh, not so much. But uh, we'll see. We're never clear. We're never sure when we finish the podcast how clear. it plays. We're never clear. We're never clear. Well, yeah, we're especially not clear during that podcast. But, but uh, that's coming up. We're, uh, you know, we got to be loose. We got to be flexible. We got to be uh, ready to parry. Roll so the anyway, punches. We're, we're all excitable tonight because why? Because the weatherman is saying we might get a little uh, bit I, of snow. I think that's uh, diminished. That We've not been getting any snow. That's all right. I can live without snow. If I really wanted snow, I'd, I'd live I in like Maine. I don't think Maine. it's a good sign, Dan. I don't think it's a sign of anything except lack of snow. So uh, I can. I'm okay with that. I'm fine. Obviously, you're, you know, I'm talking with a girl who doesn't shovel. Anyway, so I read the paper today. Yeah. And uh, a, there was a big article about a musical called Mama, I Want to Sing. Right. And uh, it's back on stage 40 years later. 40 years after it went off stage. Well, it... 40 years after it first went on stage. Apparently. Oh, 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 is that right? 40 okay. years from its beginning. Okay. And, and we know that because uh, it was the first musical Granger ever saw. Which means we saw it with our oldest son, Granger. Yes. And uh, almost 40 years ago, probably like 35 years ago or something. No, like no, 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 no. We no, saw no. it right away, yeah. 40 years ago? He was a teeny tiny. Mm-hmm. And we read about this gospel musical yeah. somewhere on the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. Now, the article in the New York Times says that it was performed in the Heckscher Theater, which uh, it's no longer called that. It's called A-Teatro, mm-hmm. um, and it's about it's part of the Museo El Barrio. But I, my, that's not my recollect, recollection of where we saw it. Right, Do you remember anything about no, seeing it? No. Nothing. I just um, remember you wanted to see it, and I never heard I of wanted it. it. We read about it, wanted to see it. Yeah. Now, this musical, it's the story of uh, a musical superstar who starts yeah. out by singing you know, in her father's church. Mm-hmm. So it's the story of ma- many of our uh, musical superstars, actually. I don't know about many, but certainly, uh, yes, some. Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Uh, Aretha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And more. But anyway... Um, my recollection is that we were like in some very small venue. Yeah, sure. Almost like a church basement. Okay. And so, I, you know, I just read this article today. I think we were pretty high up, though. You don't remember that. 
I think we were very far back because yeah. Granger was in the snuggly, uh-huh. and I was just hoping yeah. that he would stay asleep. I think I was even standing up for most of it. Like really? I was standing up in the back. Wow. Of a very small theater. Mm-hmm. The actual theater is almost 700 people. Uh-huh. So I don't think it was that. That's I, not my recollection. Okay, looking for so me. I'm wondering if we went to some, you know, earlier kind of preview, I don't know. tryout kind of thing. And uh, I haven't been able to do enough uh, research. Anyway, it's coming back. Mm. We should... It, it's actually in New York now. Mm-hmm. And... We, we, at the moment, we're incredibly busy. Yeah. I don't think we'll get a chance to take Granger for a second time. Did we like it? We loved it. Okay. All right. If you say so. It's a long time ago, honey. Um, a long it, time ago. It was ago. a great memory. Yeah. Mama, I want to sing. Yeah. And uh, Well, you like gospel music. And they made, apparently they made a film of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that never quite made it into the theaters. Oh. And they made a film, it's like 2011 huh? or something. And apparently went straight to DVD, but back back in those days, you know, that you was a it, bad yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if we look it up, maybe we'll find it online somewhere, especially if it's getting some publicity. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Granger's first musical. All right. Well, what's... In what, person. In, in person. In person, yeah. I, you know, I'm proud to say we're taking our kids to the theater. He was in a snuggly and he slept through it. Tamsin. How rude is that? That's a first kid thing oh, that you think you can go anywhere with your kid. Yes, and you want to go everywhere. And with you your shouldn't. Kid. And you shouldn't. You know? it was a mistake. It, it wasn't a huge disaster. I don't think we really disturbed anybody. Yeah. too okay. much. You know, fortunately, it's gospel singing. There's a lot. You know, you can cover up a lot of baby uh, well, okay. peeps with that. Well, I have to ask Granger if he remembers it. I kind of doubt it. Uh, all yeah, right. I think we know the answer think, to that. Right. All right. So there was. I was telling you that I had heard about this new film that's coming. That seems interesting. That's not even it. Okay. Right. I was reading the film ads. I was looking at the. Oh yes, that's right. You started in the thing in the newspaper, yeah. and I said to you, "What's the Quiet Girl?" All right. So I said, "I have no idea." Well, I ran, now you're the expert. Now, now you're the, I was wondering about. This. So I ran across. You know, I have after not talking so you to my Googled wife. Yeah, uh, the Quiet Girl. And The Quiet Girl seems sort of an interesting film. It's an Irish film. Uh, we haven't seen it, so it's not worth talking about it at any length. But I think we will see it. It's just coming to the United States. Uh, we want to see it. We yeah. want to see it. Um, but w- one thing that's stuck out about it is that the di- all the dialogue in the movie is in Irish. Irish being a different language, of course, than English. Um and uh, apparently this is a little bit of a cause celeb in Ireland because there's a little bit of tension about the preservation of the Irish language. Uh, when kids go to school, they are taught Irish as well as English, but most of the speaking that's done is English. And there are always concerns about you know, losing a language if you're not speaking it often enough. Uh, and their films are generally in English, not Irish. So this so, movie is in Irish. So this, is the film nominated? The film is nominated for Best uh, International Film at the Academy Awards. Okay. Uh, the, the article that you have in front of you is an article about the Irish Academy Awards. We all know BAFTA, which is the British version of the Academy Awards. Just no, the I, thought Irish this, version. I thought this was BAFTA. No, but it's it was not just BAFTA. An, an Irish interview. It's an, no. It's an Irish version of the Academy Awards, 
And I think, maybe it was BAFTA. Last Sunday at the British Academy. Okay, at BAFTA. It was about, well, let's talk about, let's tell people what we're talking about. So what the the article says is that, uh, uh, here's what I meant to say. Hold on. The Quiet Girl won a lot of awards at the Irish version of the Academy Awards, the Irish version, uh, version of BAFTA. But the article is also largely about what happened at the BAFTA Awards themselves because there, there was an interview of Paul Mescal, who's the star of a movie called After Sun, which is also nominated for a lot of U.S. Academy Awards. Paul Mescal being an Irish actor, and he gave his interview in Irish. Well, the Irish language public broadcasting uh, broadcasters, yeah. the TG4, yeah, okay, pulled him aside for an interview and spoke Irish to him. And he spoke back. And he had enough wherewithal to speak back. Now, he's and he he apologized at the end. Because he said he's Irish. Because he said, uh, you know, my Irish isn't so good since I've been out of school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but everybody was very proud of him that he at least tried, that well, he stumbled through, the article, and it gave him an inspirational example to see a cool young guy uh, speaking Irish, also called Gaelic sometimes, uh, you know, uh, just in an, in, 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 in an English language, uh, you know, uh, social setting. Yes, but I mean, when you say it causes a sensation, it causes a sensation in Ireland. I mean, uh, the article is about the reaction in Ireland, and the people uh, were very much applauding what Mescal did and paid very much attention to it. And again, in tandem, they're paying attention to this film, The Quiet Girl, because it is in Irish also. And and they actually, uh, they interview a few other people in the article, including uh, people who were starring in... Uh, the Banshees of Isherin, which is another movie that that's nominated many times in the U.S. Academy Awards, and they're Irish actors, and they're able to speak, or one of them is, is able to speak Irish, the other one not so much, but uh, they're all talking about what Meskel did. Uh, so there seems to be an increasing interest in uh, the use of Irish, at least in connection well, for, with these for films. The moment. For the moment. Well, I thought it was interesting. Well, so you, I mentioned this to you the other day, and you told me that when we went to Ireland, and I had forgotten this, that our tour leader, who was a local in Ireland, Spoke Irish once in a while. He did. He did. And okay. I, I was impressed. And uh, and I was also, I was always mystified by the pronunciations, uh, you know, of a lot of the sort of words and towns. And, you know, there would be uh, an Irish name mm-hmm. somewhere with English uh, below it. Irish is the official language of Ireland. So mm-hmm. when they became independent mm-hmm. of uh, England in the 20s, when they eventually had a got a um, constitution, mm-hmm. they made Irish the language, mm-hmm. and it's taught in the school. Right. So but people that. say uh, one of the comments here by a professor is, you know, people don't. Add, one of the reasons people don't end up speaking it so much is it's taught in a very academic way. Right. Okay. And maybe it should be taught more in a conversational way. Well, that's uh, because that's what you want. To, That's the problem with uh, learning any any language in school. Yeah. yeah, it's Colin Farrell who uh, um, mentioned that he he's Irish, but he can't speak. Right, any but, but his, his co-star can. His co-star in the Banshees of Ishmael. So uh, one of them has could, one of them couldn't, as I said. But so look, I don't know. I don't know how widespread uh, the use of Irish is in Ireland. It sounds like 
uh, people uh, very much respond if, in fact, an Irish actor or an Irish a prominent person is, is able to put Irish forward. And uh, so it's interesting. And we'll, and we'll look for the film. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's funny. And we've been into Irish things lately. Mm-hmm. By hook or by crook, because we've been uh, reading and watching the Tana French yeah. stories, right? right? The well, Dublin the Murders. Dublin, Dublin Murders. Yeah. And then there's something called the Dublin Trilogies, which are sort of comic murder mysteries by Queeve McDonald, mm-hmm. which are riotous, mm-hmm. riotous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're coming up uh, on the St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. which I feel always gives... Uh, Irish people kind of a bad name because you think of St. Patrick's Day in New York, it's all about drunken teenagers. Right. Um, but the Irish culture uh, has a lot to be proud of. Well, it's a great l- literary culture, especially surrounding uh, Dublin. And uh, riotously funny. Yeah. People, um, the banter of Irish people is really pretty fantastic. Well, especially yeah. the way it's captured by some. Uh, authors like Queeve McDonough. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Are you going to say? Nothing. I'll just say it. But again, again, going back to the Quiet Girl, which I don't want to make too big a deal because we haven't seen it yet. But some of the people supporting the Quiet Girl say what they love about it is it's not in the mainstream of the riotously funny, hard drinking Irish caricature. It's just the opposite. It, it, right. It's it's t- told from this young girl's point of view, and it's a very quiet story. Uh, about a family and dealing with things. So, in any event... Uh, and the title has nothing to do with The Quiet Man? No. Nothing to do with The Quiet Man. That's, that's so crazy. The Quiet Man's about an American. I know, but it's... it's uh, an American. Think of it as an Irish movie. It's the movie people watch the people, uh, for St. Patrick's People Day. in America watch. Right. Which, but not people in Ireland. Right. Okay. It's just such a coincidence. <laughs> quiet Man, Quiet Girl. Yeah, it's a coincidence, honey. Right. What can I tell you? But we, but I love that movie. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. What movie? Quiet Man. Super movie. You you can watch it. You can love it. Thank you. It's all yours, babe. You don't like it? I do not like where he drags his. Oh my uh, god! All right, don't, chosen fiance don't, don't, by the hair right, for six that's miles. That's a scene with some people don't like. But all right, yeah, some people. <laughs> that's uh, yes, right. Well, hey, anyway, um, so. On the front page of the New York Times the other day yeah. was a story about um, how Rhode Island, yeah. little old Rhode Island, yeah. is stealing all the jobs for um, wind farms, wind power yeah. from New York. And New York's got all these big uh, wind farms planned, including South Forks. Which is going to be South Fork, which is going to be 35 miles east of the tip of Long Island, um, and uh, it it's uh, expected to produce 132 megawatts of electricity. Okay, yeah. that will supply power for like 70,000 homes. Okay, yeah. but it's not built yet. And it's the stuff for it is being built in Rhode Island, in Providence, and um, also even in um, in Warren, in uh, North Kingston. There's a place building boats yeah. to transport workers um, for future uh, sites that are being built mm-hmm. off of New York. Um, so 
And the reason for this is because the first wind farm in the United States offshore is the uh, the little Block Island wind farm about uh, 16 miles off of the Rhode Island coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know that. And why do we know that? Because we go to Block Island every summer and we see it. Six years ago, about six years ago. Yeah. They were actually putting up yeah. these enormous windmills, right. these turbines, right. okay, that can, I don't know, they're like 600 feet high, mm-hmm. 600 feet high. They're huge. We happened to be renting a house on Block Island looking at those turbo- turbines. At, at the construction. When we picked up our keys yeah. to the house... Yeah. The realtor lady apologized because there was construction going on, and she, you know she was concerned some people may not appreciate. Yeah. You know, you're in the serenity of you know just the wide open waters, and uh, some people were not wild about the wind farm being built right off there. But in the end, it was fascinating watching it being built yeah. because as they were setting up those individual turbines. And we talked about this on the podcast that year we visited. Well, that was before we had the podcast, but maybe we didn't talk about it. I don't know if we did or we didn't. We must have, but anyway, they actually had a boat yeah. that had feet that can lower feet down um, to the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. So you can have a building platform for uh, setting up this giant thingamabob. Mm-hmm. And so we sat there and we watched these things going up. It was fascinating. They're actually kind of beautiful to see. They are something like three miles out, but they don't look that far at all. It's kind of amazing. You're right. They don't look that far. They do not. That's because they're so big. That's because they're so big. But anyway, so they say that because Rhode Island was involved in that first uh, project, Mm -hmm. uh, things were being built there. Yeah. Jobs got going there. Eventually, things will sift over. Mm. The bigger wind farms will be off of New York, New Jersey, etc. Um, and then uh, the jobs will probably uh, drift that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the jobs that are more about, you know, maintenance and ongoing operation rather than construction. Well, listen, it's a big thing. Uh, Little old Rhode Island well, is Gina, famous for that. Gina Raimondo, who may be a uh, candidate for president, you heard it here first, was the governor of Rhode Island when this happened, and now she's in the Biden administration. And uh, uh, she's a real candidate. Let me tell you something. If Biden doesn't run, I'd put my money on her. Really? Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. That yeah. would put Rhode Island on the map. It would. It would. Um Okay, so here's something. I, you know, I think you've got the article, but I, uh, you should have the article, but I, I think I was the one who you identified can have, it. You can have no, it. No, I don't need it. You want it back? No. It's, it's all it, yours. It says, uh, would you like olive oil with your coffee? Starbucks is betting that Italians will. Here's the story. The story is that Starbucks a few years ago opened up in Italy, which might have seemed counterintuitive because the Italians like coffee, but they have their ways of doing things. And uh, that usually is, it, it's just different from the way Americans drink coffee, including their big investment in espresso, which they drink at, at uh, coffee bars or coffee locales standing up, as they point out in the article. And as I've seen uh, Ms. Granger do many times after she spent some time in Italy, that's the way it's done. Not the Starbucks well, way. To, you know, I was um, 
going to a graduate class yeah. uh, during the summer right. one year, and uh, I would walk from my um, uh, apartment mm-hmm. to uh, the temple yeah. university site, yeah. and it was a decent walk. About halfway down the way, I would stop at my favorite espresso bar mm-hmm. and uh, get my usual mm-hmm. and and sip it, and then proceed mm-hmm. and that's the way it's done you stop in you go to the bar you drink you can sit down you know there are cafes it's there you can you know often the same bar mm-hmm. will have places to sit down but it costs actually more to sit down and drink your coffee All right so there's a cultural it's a culturally defined way of doing things but right. starbucks you know did it its way open it's a bunch of locations in in italy and, and they're doing well they have 20 locations supposedly. i wonder if anybody's going besides tourists though I don't know. Because that's what you do lots of times. You go to a familiar place. Yes. Well, so in any Even event. Even though it's not. But here's, uh, here's the story. Right. We don't really care how Starbucks does. Uh, we okay, we what's, interesting, care. what's interesting is this. That their new uh, gimmick, their new angle, is that they are promoting uh, coffee with olive oil. In other, and that, what I mean is exactly what I said. They're suggesting that you put olive oil in your no, coffee. They're not suggesting anything. Sure, they are. They have developed about five or six drinks yeah. that use olive oil in the drink. That's suggesting okay? it. It's on no, the menu. Not suggesting. Sure, they are. Why is that not suggesting? Well, you, you it's on it the sound, menu. You make it sound like they have a sign up saying, "How about some olive oil in?" Your if you coffee? have a sign up that says, "You know, for X amount of lira." You get a cup of coffee with, you know, this much olive oil in it. That's suggesting, Tamsin. No. That, that's no, what that is. But it's not exactly like that. They, they have the golden foam drink. Yeah. And, you know, and it sure. has olive oil. Have a, they have a bunch of drinks with olive oil, and they have a display of the olive oil that they put in their coffee. They are promoting olive oil in coffee, okay? Yeah. Which is, to me... Yeah, here's the problem. Forget there's a problem. First of all, novel. That's novel. That's different. Number not- two... Number two, well, it's different in that. It's hardly novel. People have been drinking their coffee with butter for years. But not olive oil. Well, wonderful. But here, yes. here's the problem with What's the, the article. What's the... So the article is introducing all this yeah. and makes it sound like a huge scandal and whatnot. But uh, I don't quite understand why. But in order to write the article, the um, writer had to agree not to ask Starbucks patrons if they actually like the drink. Because they didn't want the Starbucks patrons to be bothered. They didn't want, the people at Starbucks felt that they didn't want to subject their customers to questioning just because they were sitting and relaxing at a Starbucks. They're protecting their customers. Daniel, it's not like a huge thing, all right? It's a, Tamsin, again, the main point is, that's what they do. They ask questions. Let's not bury the lead. How often do people The lead is you can now put olive oil in your coffee. No, it's it's not about putting, there's not a jug of olive oil on the stand for you to put in your coffee This is the new thing. This is it. These are special drinks. You can put olive oil in your oh coffee. Oh, my God. And, there, and, 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 of course, Italy is the you place to launch this obviously, because they have olive oil. Obviously, in the coffee's not doing so well in Italy. Yeah. Because somebody dreamed this up for publicity. Yes, maybe. And, and somewhere in the article, they said, the, the Italians say, well, it's good. It will bring more attention to olive oil. Yeah. How does that how, Who doesn't know about olive no, oil? No, they also say it's good more because attention? it's some more coffee. But they say it's bad. Or they're concerned because uh, it may interfere with the espresso habit or ritual because it can't, for some reason, put olive oil in espresso. That would be a, a bridge too See, far. Here's the thing. If what? people are buying coffee at Starbucks, yeah. 
then they're not buying coffee at their local espresso bar. Right. Okay? Yeah, but they're going to be hooked. That's going to be doomed. Okay. All right? Let me tell you something. If a year from now... Starbucks is only there to take away the business. If, if, if a year from now, everyone in New York is drinking olive oil with their coffee, then, you, then you'll say to me, you were right. You were right. This is where it all started. Daniel, just so you understand, when people drink espresso... I'm not talking about espresso. I'm talking about coffee. I'm talking about coffee, not espresso. Olive oil and coffee. No no one's going to do it. All right. We'll see. We will see. Because already butter in the coffee has run its course. People are not... People are not doing that anymore? Because, you know, people are... uh, It turns out it's not super healthy. Look, Starbucks is a big company. I'm not saying they're always right, but they wouldn't launch something without some kind of testing. And on top of that, this is the specific idea of Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. It's his baby. If they have to seed an article like that into the New York Times. Oh. They are struggling. Oh, yeah, you, they need this article, tough. baby. You are tough. All right, here's something. Here's something which is a little tough, too. Article says, ready for this? It's chew poppy seed bagels. Military you says. Say that again. It's chew. That's like chewing, but it's with an E. It's in, with an S. It's chew. It's chew. Poppy seed bagels. Does that mean don't eat poppy seed I mean, spit seed bagels? out the poppy seed. The military says. The military has sent out the specific military, warning. They're the telling people. The military? the military is telling its people not to eat poppy seed bagels or lemon poppy seed loaf. As you well know, I know you're a great seller of lemon poppy seed loaf. No, not really. Uh, because... Because it could cause drug tests to come back positive, indicating codeine or morphine, even if the person who's eating the bagel is not using the drugs. Just by virtue of eating the poppy seed bagel, they're on the wrong side of the law. Apparently, the military is doing very, very deep uh, testing of poppy seed all the time. Here's here's how this came about. Yeah. Okay. Starbucks planted the article. Is that what you're going to tell me? So in the late 80s, I had a gourmet shop. Yes, we know that. The Cranberry Food Sampler. Right. Okay. We sold lemon poppy seed muffins. There you go. You're practically in the article. Yeah. With with almost every muffin, I told my big joke (laughs) as I handed it to the customer. Hope you're not having a drug test today. Hi, you're ahead of the curve. This might show up. Okay. All we know is somebody heard that joke yeah. and told it to their right. superior officer. Yeah. And now in the military, it's gospel. Okay, so here, okay. let me give you 10 seconds on the science. Here's the way it works, okay? There's poppy no seeds. It's just <laughs> urban legend. Poppy seeds. I know, that's what we thought. Poppy seeds did not contain opiates, but when they are harvested, they can be contaminated by the morphine, codeine, and theobane that are in a fluid that oozes from the plant. So they can be contaminated with morphine and codeine. Now, before they are used for baking, they are supposed to be washed. But the seeds are not always washed. So if you... People have done tests with a bunch of bagels. when you buy your muffin... Yeah. Or your, you know, bagel. Yeah. You have to say, have these seeds been washed? Yeah. Listen, our military is concerned about this, Damson. You're you, making light of I'm it. I'm telling you. Somebody told somebody told somebody told somebody. It all came from me. I'm sorry. 
I deny it. <laughs> I simply said it because, you know, poppies, poppy seeds. You're trying to increase sales. Look, they, they, they closed the article telling people not in the military who have an upcoming drug test not to ingest poppy seeds on bagels for a few days, if not, if not weeks or months before the test. How's that for practical advice? I wonder if anybody if remembers me actually saying that. Oh, man. Like Cindy Wilson. Cindy, you, are you listening? Can you imagine? You remember if I said that when you were there? Can you imagine what, what your drug test would indicate if you ate an everything bagel? It would be like, you know, off the charts. It would, it would be a huge problem. So there you go. Um, oh, next, Yoko Ono. We're just going to say something quickly about Yoko Ono. There's an article in the Times, Yoko Ono, Guest of Honor, it's called. It was her 90th birthday. There was a celebration uh, of Yoko in Central Park. Um, and she was not there, but these are just a bunch of fans of hers in Central Park. And it culminated in these fans writing notes that they walked over to the Dakota where she lived for a number of years with John Lennon and afterwards, although it's not clear where she's living right now. And um, it celebrated her art. Now, I don't, you know, she did some music, uh, which her fans, uh, fans interviewed for this article uh, were, you know, had a lot of nice things to say about. I'm not familiar with her music. But a lot of it was about uh, performance art. I'll just give one example, but I'm not. Yeah, gonna... she was an artist. Daniel. Yeah, she was. Wasn't she part of that group, Fluxus? Or hey, I don't know. But they, he, I'm just going to example with no comment. Okay, this is what they they thought one of her uh, significant uh, performance art projects called Cut Piece at the Carnegie Recital Hall. I told you about this. She knelt on the stage as audience members one by one cut off her clothing with fabric shears. This is the key sentence. That performance puzzled some who saw it at the time but it is now considered groundbreaking all right so i have nothing to say about that the only reason i mention this is that we had a chance to meet yoko ono we may have talked about in the podcast and she couldn't have been nicer right she was was very frail at the time she's not surprised she's not dancing in but this was by now this was 10 or 15 Um, years ago but and and we were there and uh, we were there because she was good friends we were at a, a shiva yeah for Nicole Gordon's mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Nicole Gordon, friend of yours, a contemporary of yours, yeah. had uh, known Yoko Ono for many, many years. And she actually reminisced yeah. with Yoko about visiting. Her mother would take her to visit some of uh, Yoko Ono's, um, not her, I don't think it was her performances so much, but uh, her, you know, her installations. Art installations, yeah. And uh, and she was giving Yoko her reactions as a young child, like yeah. a five year old, uh, going to these things, yes, and yes. and it was quite Yoko fascinating yeah. to but, see them talk. Yeah. And Yoko was kind of amused. But but after Nicole uh, went to talk to other guests, we must have talked with Yoko for forty minutes or so, just about family life, about raising kids in, in like that region that, yeah. of the country, and she couldn't have been more down to earth, right? Right. Uh, so there you go. I just wanted to say that. She also reminisced about uh, one of the ways she made money when she first came to the U.S. from Japan. Was it just giving she piano lessons? She oh, to a flower arrangement. That's right. That's right. Uh, up, up to the uh, yeah. suburban Well, she had to make a living to suburban housewives. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess you could make a living them doing... Fl- I don't know how you make a living. Well, well the, the thing was, I, I believe it was... Uh, 
Nicole's uh, mother who helped uh, connect yeah, her. Sure, these, absolutely. These, she was um, involved in trying to uh, be a resource and advocate for Japanese yeah. artists. Yeah, true. All right, so you have this article about this woman, uh, Eileen Sheridan, 99 years old. We have an obituary old. for yeah, Eileen Sheridan, yeah. um, who was a super cyclist. She's probably uh, Britain's most famous, uh, one of, it's still considered probably one of the best uh, cyclists, male or female, mm-hmm. um, in that country. And uh, like you said, she's 99, and she's... Started cycling when she was about 14 years old. Never looked back. She's four foot 11. Yeah. A teeny little thing. And uh, her most famous ride was in 1954, where she did some 870-mile ride. Okay. And she won. She broke, uh, took 12 hours off the record. Yeah, this is too And then... She felt she still she had enough energy to keep going and try to break the record for a thousand hours. Yeah. So this was nineteen forty five. You said nineteen fifty four. Nineteen fifty four, and this was the John Groats thing. Yes. Yeah. So I can tell you that I read these uh, English bicycle magazines, and that ride is still a thing. Now, not not the one she did in fifty four. The route is still a thing. People, there are some people who do it every year or try to do it every year. It is, you know, it is considered a classic ride. Well, she ride did the, the first, the 870 miles mm-hmm. in uh, two days. Yeah. You know? People do it. Two People days, do it. 11 hours. So it was almost three days. Yeah. Um, and then she took like an hour nap. Yeah. And had a little bite to eat and went, uh, well, you know. Well, the English, the first of all, the English are into cycling more than the U.S. is into cycling. Yeah. They make the point that this is, you know, she started in 45 you know, at the end of the war, and this is now the post-war period. And uh, as she's uh, comments during the article, it was a great relief during the war to be able to get on your bicycles and get out of the cities, the cities being the subject of whatever bombing was going on. And you could get out in the countryside and uh, have a different experience. And that's what really got her into cycling. I mean, but it is one of those stories that can only take place in the, in the past that, you know, she just takes something up that she was just doing for the fun of it, and then she's breaking records like crazy, and she's she's photographed um, with uh, you know it looks like your local ten speed uh, with fenders. She, she had an endorsement. Uh, deal. I, I, I understand, but but I think the photograph might have been early on. I mean, that's not a super bike. No, it was during her contract. Really? Yeah, nineteen fifty one. Doesn't look like a, a super bike, but the, and at four eleven. At that time, it might have been. In time, super. well, maybe it was. It look, was just, they show her riding. It's, yeah. it's like she's got. Uh, Shorty shorts and a t-shirt on, yeah, yeah. you know, there's no, it, maybe no padding at all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of a minimal uh, helmet. But I, I'm glad that at least she was wearing a helmet. Well, the funny line is that when she says that she, there was, uh, when she did a long ride that you described, there was a nurse who was uh, as part of her group. Uh, and she had all these terrible blisters and stuff. And the quote is, the nurse wept, is what she says. Uh, so, you know, she was tough. Well, she had blisters on her hands. Yeah. She couldn't, at a certain point... She couldn't grab the ride, handlebars. She couldn't grab the handlebars until yeah, right, yeah. they could uh, stop and figure out a way to pass. All right, anyway, All right so listen, so. I have to say something about the quiet man. I don't want to get into a fight with you about the quiet man. But uh, <laughs> but some people are listening and they might be thinking whether... The, the quiet man, just so we're clear, is a 1952 movie with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara, Barry Fitzgerald, Vic, Victor McLaughlin. Uh, Ward Bond. Uh, it is considered a great movie. 
I take your point that there's one scene where he's dragging her. He's not dragging her by the hair, but he's, he's, he seems to really be dragging her. But, um, and frankly, there's a lot of pretty pushy stuff between him and her both ways. Uh, but, you know, it's John Wayne, right? So he has a physical end of things. Um, and the movie is, the whole crux of the movie is based on gender roles, which were, right. must have been antiquated even then. I mean, she's making demands on him based on gender roles, which are well, insane. She, isn't she sort of demanding he be more macho than he is? She's demanding they that. They have certain rules in <laughs> Ireland about a how... A husband behaves. Well, let me and, be, I can be more specific. Yeah. She's, uh, she feels that uh, she, he should be receiving a dowry in connection with her marriage. And her brother, Victor McLaughlin, who's a very tough guy, refuses to give the dowry. And she says to her husband, John Ford, if you're a real man, you will fight my brother and get that dowry. Not John dowry. Ford. Not John. John Wayne. She says, John Wayne, you will, uh, you will fight my brother to get that dowry. And that's what the whole movie is about. And yet it's a comedy. he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't want the money. He doesn't understand what a dowry is. He's an American. Yeah. Doesn't get it. Uh, but, you know, right. the climax of the movie is that I, fight. I, I thought we watched it together recently and you felt it was pretty dated. It's, it is dated. But I, it but is dated. But you still love it. I've seen it maybe too Just many times. Just as you still love me, even though I'm pretty deep. Oh, Tamsin, please don't go down that road. Are we talking about your birthday again? It's going to be a big <laughs> celebration. Right. Let's, let's go. It's never too early to start baking that cake. Okay. Thanks. for. I'll, I'll get going. I'll take the, the hint. All right. So uh, this is it until uh, next time, which will be in March. And, uh, right, and hopefully in Richmond. Yes. We'll see you then <laughs> in Richmond. Oh, that's going to be something. This is Dan Abuhoff. And Tamsin Granger with... Tamsin and Dan read the paper. See you next week.